Welcome everyone to our NCAA Social Series. I'm Andy Katz. Pleased to be joined by the 2022 NCAA MOAA Award for Diversity and Inclusion, Northern Illinois. It's their second time winning the award. And joining me here in person, Sean Frazier, the Vice President and Director of Athletics and Recreation from Northern Illinois, and Courtney Vinson, the Senior Associate Athletics Director at Northern Illinois. So Sean, I'll start with you, and Courtney, please jump in. Uh, first off, just in general, what does it mean to win this award? Well, first off, Andy, thanks a lot for having us. Uh, just a fantastic, outstanding opportunity. It is outstanding, <laughs> to be perfectly honest with you. Um, to see the work in the men and women um, of NIU, specifically in the athletic department, who have strived to make major headway in diversity, equity, and inclusion. For more importantly, how that translates to belonging. Okay, all these catchphrases that we talk about, the bottom line is outcomes, um, folks feeling and seeing themselves in the overall operations of the athletic department, and you know, this validation that, yeah, this is something that, that happened again, okay, we're, we're, we have a chip on our shoulder at NIU, um, we feel really comfortable about our efforts, but to be able to get recognized on a why do you have a chip on your shoulder? Just a little, just a little chip on the shoulder. Because of the fact that you know a, a lot of folks look at us as like the little engine that could, right? And this is where excellence—you're talking about inclusive excellence, which transcends the size of institution or how many inst uh, students go to your uh, to, to your institution. So that little chip there makes us feel really comfortable to be among anyone that's going to be talking about DEI and belonging. But I think for us, really, specifically, this is a replicable model that has had, that, that, that's really grown during the, since the last time that we won the award, and I'm really excited to be able to give that back to uh, the other institutions in the country. For me, this is really exciting because um, when we went through it the second time, we included our student-athletes. And having them be able to voice their opinions and be able to collaborate with each other and figure out what their voice means and be able to articulate it in such an amazing way. It's been a really special process, a special part of this process. So the world has changed quite a bit since the last time NIU won, which was in 2015. Correct. 14, 15. Right. Yep. So, I mean, six, seven years. Uh, I know you weren't there then, but how would you judge what this institution has done most recently amid a changing environment, not just in northern Illinois and the Chicagoland area, but also certainly in this country? Um, the word that comes to mind is collaboration. So understanding everything that we've been through, summer 2020, understanding social justice as a whole, um, we've been able to partner with our academic diversity, equity, and inclusion department, and they've been able to help us create some programs from an athletic standpoint to make sure that they were sustainable within our, um, with, our with our student athletes, with our coaches. Um, we were able to work with our counseling centers through this process just to make sure our student athletes were okay. Um, we were able to work with our center for black studies. We had a professor essentially give a history lesson to all of our student athletes virtually. The biggest thing through this process is the fact that we did it all virtual, um, trying to make sure that we were keeping our student athletes safe, but also providing them the comfort and education that they needed, and same for our coaches and all right, staff. So let's peel it back. Sounds great, but <laughs> we need to really explain what does it mean, you know, the programs, 
and the interaction from the student athletes. So help all of us understand what specifically was done. Sean? Yeah, yeah you know what, to, you know, to, just to piggyback where Courtney comes in, I think that's really great to be able to see that we've had you know, a number of different people prior to her arrival, my time from 13 to present. But you know what, it's about actionable, demonstrated leadership. And you gotta start with our board of trustees, our president, Lisa Freeman, um, they made this a priority. You know, I've been doing this a while, a while a little gray hair, a little no hair, right? Uh, over my 24, 24 25 year career, uh, just in the space of DEI, I've seen some great leadership and I've seen some leadership that has to find themselves. Um, the thing that I love the most that this was embraced from day one, and it's not just in the athletic department, it's permeated throughout the campus, the community, and the outcomes to get to the money shot. The bottom line is the outcomes, right? From hiring to engagement to the ability to incorporate the community, at its, not just the campus community, but the overall DeKalb Sycamore community, and to branch it out nationally. You know, the, the model will, and we will get into the nuts and bolts of this uh, in a more detailed presentation uh, for colleagues in the future, but what it was is actually holding people accountable. The intentionality of understanding that inclusive excellence is just that. We need to get better in all phases, and it's not an afterthought, it's a part of the athletic operation. And that comes from top. You know, one thing for me to beat the drum and say we're going to do this, but this actual taking a look at things like the search processes, the educational focus around understanding what belonging versus diversity, equity, and inclusion is all about. It's seeing themselves. So all those pieces now from the first time that we, you know, we were recognized back in 1415 to actually now, you actually see how the different steps that are a part of the operation, not something like after the fact, we're going to add this on. It's a part of the fabric of the university. All right, so Courtney, peel back for me. Tell me some of the steps that showed there was inclusion, actionable things that occurred. So we have a diversity integration group. Um, that group is a, it's a model of people from campus, our cultural centers, we have coaches on there, we have student athletes on there, we have some of our actual athletic staff on that group. And because that group is so diverse, we're able to attack, the, uh, attack our diversity, equity, and inclusion operations in a different way because we have all these different pieces on campus that are represented to help us push these uh, visions forward. So, such as? So, so the issue is we're, we're the only school in the country, and I can say that, that has a, a woman uh, CEO, president, mm -hmm. yours truly as an African-American male and the director of athletics chair, head football coach that we have, an African-American, head, uh, head basketball coach, African-American. Now, that just didn't happen because one day we felt that, you know, we have to do this. It was done in a way that we wanted to pursue uh, inclusive excellence by recruitment and making sure that we make this a part of the culture. So it was, you know, woke up, there it is, the search process. We wanted to make sure that people were inclusive in that way, and that recruitment process yielded something that, quite frankly, is historic. And you don't see that in any other place in the country. You were a former student-athlete. You mentioned student-athlete involvement. What did you hear from them? The biggest thing that I learned from our student-athletes is we all come from different places, so different socioeconomic backgrounds. So when I first did our initial focus group, uh, with a group of different student athletes, different sports, a lot of them just didn't understand how did we get to the point where we had so much unrest in our country. So once I understood that some got it, some didn't, it was really about coming in from an educational perspective and providing that foundation. 
but then from our student athletes that did get it, giving them the opportunity to voice how they felt. Um, a lot of our student athletes in their hometowns, because we were virtual um, at that point, they were protesting in their hometowns. They were very much a part of the social justice action part of that, uh, that we've seen so much in, the, in this country. So our student athletes, what I learned is that they're going to get their, their voices are gonna be heard. It was uh, for us from a leadership perspective to give them the opportunity to do it in a constructive way. What kind of resistance did you find? None. Zero. None. Yeah, so I can, piggyback off of that, there's a misnomer that you know our minority students are the ones that are is most aggressive in this space. That's not the case. My majority students um, want to make sure that their voice, voices are, were heard, and they took the active stance, and quite frankly, holding us accountable, us being the president, us being the provost, the director of athletics, the, the, the folks, the coaches in our staff. So you know, when you have that enlightenment, that self-awareness, that uh, these are issues that are more based in human rights than uh, necessarily gender or race, um, there's action. Action will happen. And this is a part of the D our, our diversity integration group, which we, you know, we, we have all these great thinkers in this think tank of folks that are talking about progressive way to integrate diversity and inclusion within what we do. But we have the student voice, which, as you know, is quite powerful these days. So you work and live in a very diverse community, state. Um, you say it's transferable to other parts of the country. How do you, how would you talk to another school uh, where maybe they are not in a very diverse place in terms of their searching for more diversity and inclusion when maybe that isn't the full population? Mm -hmm. I can start off here. You know, it's interesting, uh, back in the old peer review days, I was that peer reviewer, young administrator, and uh, would go on to different campuses and have conversations with presidents, have conversations with the frontline staff that, quite frankly, are doing the work, okay? Um, part of that process is, is you want to start from a baseline. We'll use the customary climate surveys. We will go out and make sure we talk to folks within the department, outside of the department, in the community. And then we'll benchmark what success looks like. It doesn't have to look like where we are, where we have a, a really robust plethora of really diverse individuals uh, across the line from gender, from race, et cetera, disability. Um, but you need to start someplace. Part of this is the, the conversation, creating a shared agenda, looking at yourself, reflecting on the things that will make you better. I think that going back to what I said before, you know, we went out with had intentionality with hiring different folks uh, our president, myself, our football coaches, our basketball coach, they were the best. You know, uh, we have outcomes to prove that we win championships. We do things academically and athletically that are exemplary. So again, a lot of folks is a misnomer. Uh, we go to diversity, equity. We're, we, are we going to not same, have the same results? So part of this is going back and having self-reflection, having some real tough, candid conversations, and then benchmarking how do we progress during a, a cycle and making sure that you have measurable goals that you hold yourself accountable to. So part of that's going into it, you know, and having those tough conversations saying, well, okay, this is the percentage where we are now when it comes to maybe a goal is ethnic racial diversity within your coaching staff, your senior staff, or just education in general. But making, and then hold yourself accountable. At the end of the day, taking a look at that and then saying, listen, this is how we've progressed in this area. So, I mean, let's be real, in some of these, in some of these places in the country, um, 
They're not diverse at all. Mm -hmm. There is no person of color. So how do you advise a school if you want to open and be much more diverse to also bring someone into your space who literally may be the only person of color in that athletic department, uh, in that, you know, co on that coaching staff, because that could be someone coming pushing back on you. How would you respond to that as you try to break down that barrier within that population? Um, so if you're the only person of color walking into that situation, ideally, the fact that the institution has invited you in, we're going to have a open situation where they feel comfortable. The goal to me is as you open that to one person, are you taking the time to recruit people of color, ensuring that you have a diverse uh, diverse candidate pool to make sure that that's not the only one. Um, you don't want to be in a situation where you have a quote unquote token hire. You want to be in a situation where you can continue to grow. Um, you can continue to hire people of color. You can continue to hire women in different spaces within your athletic department. And then when they get there, it's a part, a part of it is making sure that people are comfortable, like making sure that they're walking into spaces that they don't feel unsafe, making sure that their voices are being heard. Um, a part of this work that I've learned is that it's one thing to hire somebody that is a minority, um, that is a woman. It's another thing to actually be heard, to actually be able to do the work um, and put them in a position to win. Yeah, part of that process too is, is being ready for that. You know, I've been in some, uh, a number of different spaces where I was the only one. And it was a great experience for me uh, because on, on some levels, we put some lofty goals in some of the other places I've been at, but we didn't have the framework. We didn't have the infrastructure. And what ended up happening is some ugly situations where we brought individuals in, students or staff, um, but they were uh, 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 dealing with a lot of microaggressions across campus in the community, and it ended badly. So part of that, that, that benchmarking I was talking about, about what success looks for you, is all baby steps. And, and some of it is happening on your campus already. Mm -hmm. So I, I really implore the, the leadership to take a look at a homegrown approach. Women, ethnic, racial minority, sexual orientation. There's people right there in your department that might want to stay. They might want to uh, matriculate into a, a staffing role. That's what happened with me. But it also is a time to be able to assess the different services and to get help. And you don't necessarily have to have a smoking gun or a, a hired gun, so to speak, like myself, to come onto your campus and tell you this is what you need to do. Now, you can do that, too. Uh, but I also think it's about knowing yourself, is having those tough conversations, and then taking a look at what works for you, and then adapting that. That's the great thing about this particular plan. It's for years of, of, of work, and you can take a look at some of these pieces and say, you know, I can do this right away. This might be a 10-year plan for me or a five-year, but right now, I can do this right now. So I think that part of uh, having those conversations and then having intentionality and then holding people accountable for that, that's the real key piece about the diversity integration group, the DIG group, because it does that. And it also provides transparency that this is something really important to you. Yeah, Courtney, you, you are one of many people, but a great example of a former student athlete who has then gone up the food chain. Um, and that can be the pool. How do you get student athletes to look at this as a possible career choice so that there are more diverse candidates in that hiring pool five, 10 years from now for various jobs. So a part of that is their experience, ensuring that we are providing them an experience that 
it's going to be something that they want to replicate. For us, we put uh, student athletes in our diversity integration group. We have different leadership groups for our student athletes. So in that, we end up having these one-on-one -on -one conversations or group conversations where they're trying to figure out, well, Courtney, how, well, how did you get to this place? Or um, if I'm looking to do this, then what do, how do I get there? And so actually in our most recent plan, we have a piece in there for our student athletes that identify the fact that they want to be in collegiate athletics as a career. And so for us, it's about exposing them to those different areas to figure out what is their sweet spot. Do they want to be a coach? Do they want to work on the administrative side? And then providing them those opportunities and figuring out, okay, if this is, if let's say you want to do marketing, all right, I like this, but maybe I want to try something else. Just literally just giving them the opportunity to try different things so they can figure out exactly what they want to do. And then for us, putting them in that position so when they finish uh, their undergrad degree, they have a little bit of experience. They can go into grad school, look for a graduate assistantship, and then proceed into collegiate athletics as a career. You know, look, I don't expect you to have this, you know, <laughs> I mean, this is maybe unfair to ask, but it, it feels, Sean, like, to quote, I can't remember who's saying the baby steps, but, you know, there was a time where someone of color would say, well, I want to play, you know, a high-level sport. You know, I'm talking about, what, 40, 50 years ago, you know, and then you say, okay, now I see someone who looks like me. So you get that phase. Now we want to, I want to coach. And obviously we've done a much better job of hiring coaches of color. So now I want to coach. It feels like the last mountain to climb within this space is, oh, I want to be an AD. Mm -hmm. I want to be a conference commissioner. Because there are very few women, women of color, men of color in those positions. Why has it taken so long to get to mm -hmm. that level? Yeah, so now you're asking questions that uh, it's probably going to be a whole nother set of, of, of responses. <laughs> but, you know, not to get on my soapbox, because I will get on my soapbox about this issue. Um, I will say this. Um, looking at the numbers, and uh, President Emmert did a great job in, in, in having these conversations um, uh, just on nationally. We're looking at numbers, uh, especially when you talk about football and men's basketball, and I would even say women's basketball, where we're dealing with participants that are a high concentration of ethnic racial minority. Um, for them not to see the fact that there's a pathway to head coach, AD, conference commissioner, president, um, is a shame. It really is. It's not America. We know that. So I think it's time for us now, looking at the student athlete voice, understanding that you know there's resources and money involved, that we have a plan to deal with that. It's not okay anymore, just to say that okay, you know, um, they're not number, they're not qualified people of color, women that can be in these roles. Okay, I'm a great example of that, but I'm clearly in the minority, 12, 13. It's even worse for women of color, and as I as I mentor. Uh, uh, Courtney to understand that she's going to be the next generation of athletic director. I'm really proud that she's at NIU. But it's time for us to take an active role in that, in that particular process. And I also think it's really important to understand that the intentionality of, of presidents and chancellors are really the key in this. Uh, there's a lot of folks that need to be self-aware. That just really is an issue. You'd be surprised how many people that don't realize that this is really an issue. Uh, maybe they do, but because of a number of different issues that are out there, they haven't gone the extra mile to put together plans and programs to ensure the fact that there's inclusivity as a part of the process. And look, I, I don't, you know, obviously I want people to be successful and get jobs, but too often we see this recycled names, mm -hmm. you know, too often it's an older white male gets another AD job, another AD job. Um, 
And that's why it's great, like her as an example, to see you know Nina King get this opportunity to do. Um, you're in this position. You're, as he said, you're that next line to move up. What do you see in terms of the opportunity maybe a couple years ago versus what is now trending, hopefully, in a better direction? I think it's definitely better. Um, now, I've seen a graphic um, recently where it's clear that there are more women and minorities being hired in athletic director positions. And in this past, even this past year, we've had a good number that have been hired. So that makes me hopeful. Um, I don't know that I felt that way five years ago, or to be honest, two years ago. Um, so what I what I can take away from that is me putting in the work, me doing different athletic director preparedness programs, um, gives me the opportunity to when I'm ready to put my foot into that in that pool and really explore the opportunity in being an athletic director. And to your point, and you know, you gotta make the right choice of not just which one you should go for, but which one is the right fit for you Absolutely. so that they have the the supporting uh, the support for if you get that opportunity. Absolutely. Um, as any job, every job, when you are looking for an opportunity, it's a two-way street. Um, just because somebody has a job opening doesn't mean that that job is for you or you will be successful. Your your values, your core set may not fit in that institution. So as I evaluate um, jobs, as my peers evaluate jobs, a part of our job is to make sure that where we're going, we know that there's going to be a support system that will allow us to be successful in that position. So I'm going to give you the last word for whomever, whatever institution could potentially win this in 23 or 24, what do they have to do? They have to have candid conversations with themselves and the people that they serve, students and staff, about embracing inclusive excellence. And that basically means it has to be from a top-down approach, and it can't be an add-on. If they want to succeed in this particular space, and again, as a black man, 23 years old, I had no experience in DEI or knew anything about belonging, but I did know that I had to serve as a role model. I would say my counterparts, making that intentionality, that, that step forward to say that this is important to educate tomorrow's leaders, this is extremely important that they have an active role and some type of plan that could be measured and reviewed and be transparent that this is important for everyone. Sean and Courtney, appreciate it. Congratulations again, Northern Illinois. The 2022 NCAAMOAA Award for Diversity and Inclusion. And that'll wrap up this edition of our NCAA Social Series. As always, go to ncaa.org slash social series where all of them are archived. Thanks for watching.